Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Two birds, one stone. What exactly does that mean? Well, a quick definition is this. It means we're going to achieve two aims or two goals with one action. Okay, that's kind of what it means, two birds. Now, by way of reminder, let me just remind you, Pilate, he... He did not want to declare Jesus guilty. Do you guys remember that? He didn't want to say he's guilty. So he, he tried several avenues to get out of, of, of the verdict. You go, what did he do? Well, the first thing, now I want you to think about this, okay? The first thing he offered was to chastise and to beat Jesus. And then, and then to release him. Of course, they're going, no, no, no. And the second thing, he's like, okay, that didn't work. He tried to release Jesus through a custom they had. I want you to remember this. And the custom was to release a prisoner on the Passover. Well, as the last of the sixth civil trial is underway, guys, we discovered that a week, that, that, that last week, even before he was sent to Herod, Pilate said, not guilty. I was like, what? Seriously, this was, again, and now, now again, that's what he says. This, this was the verdict. Now, here's what you need to take notes, okay? I asked you to do this last week, this week. Part of this, part of the first trial, okay, was known as something called the Roman Code of Civil Procedure. The Roman Code of Civil Procedure. You go, what does that mean? Pilate's main objective, okay, they bring Jesus. Now, they they had the first three religious, right? They had Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. Now they're coming to civil, okay? And so what Pilate, he had one objective was to go through each of the four steps in order to see if there was this insurrection, this uprise against Rome. That was his main focus. Now, the four steps that he had to follow, guys, made this basically accurate court of law. This is what it, he had to do. The first one, remember, there was an accusation. There always had to be an accusation. And so he wanted to, okay, what are you accused? What are you being accused of? The second thing was the interrogation. Well, let me find out if the accusation is true. What is going on here? The third was the defense. Do you have a defense attorney? Are you defending yourself? And then fourth, there was always dun, 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 the verdict. There was always should be the verdict, right? So Pilate, Pontius Pilate, follows these four steps. And in verse 38 says, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and he said, here's the quote, I find no fault in him at all. In your mind, the gavel should have went, not guilty, go home, this is it, it's all done. I've conducted all four steps, okay, and here's the verdict. Not guilty against any crime against Rome. You guys tracking with me? That's important, right? Because he's not worried about what's going on in the Jewish law. He's saying against Rome. Here's the problem. The Bible tells us that the chief priests, the scribes, and the crowd are still yelling all the more fierce. He stirs up the people. He's teaching throughout Judea. He's not doing right. He's right. And he says, and where did he start? He started in Galilee. When Pilate hears, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what did you say? He's staring up. He started in Galilee. Did you say Galilee? He spends a Galilean? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, listen, y'all don't want to hear what I say? I'm going to send him to Herod. Herod was there in Judea, and he sends him to Herod, right? That's his 
jurisdiction, right? There you go. And, and so he sends Jesus to Herod, right? And this is the start of the fifth civil trial. Now, Herod didn't do any of that. Herod didn't do any of the, you know, what, what are you being accused of? He didn't do any of that, okay? Why? Herod's just, Herod's just hanging out. He's having a good time, okay? But Pilate was on thin ice. And so he wanted to make sure, man, listen, when, when your job's on the line, you want to make sure you're doing everything right, right? You want to cross every T and dot every I and make sure because, man, they're looking at me. They want to get rid of me. Herod's not that way. What did he want? Do you guys remember? Herod, right, he, he mocks Jesus because he was looking for some sort of crazy trick or miracle. Oh, it's Jesus. Hey, do something great. A miracle. He wanted to see a miracle. And when Jesus stood there, he's like, really, we're not playing this game. Do you guys remember what happened? He gets frustrated and he says, man, just go back to Pilate mocks him and ridicules him. Again, remember, Pilate is on thin ice with Rome, okay? So he doesn't want to make a mistake, or he doesn't want to cause an uproar that would get back to Caesar, okay? Can you imagine if the people are like, we went to Pilate, and he didn't do anything, and he's like, oh, not again. Pilate is out of there. He, he's trying to not, he's trying to keep everybody happy. So what can Pilate do, guys? What can Pilate do that will calm the crowd and relieve the intense pressure? Right? He tries to relieve the pressure of having Jesus be scourged. I want you to put yourself in Pilate's sandals for just a moment, okay? There you are, you're on thin ice. You're probably guilty of some things, right? You, you had some Jews murdered. You're, you're just not real, you know, just not a really good manager. You're just not a good manager, right? You might be a great salesperson, but you're not a good manager. And Pilate is that guy. He's not a good manager. And so what he does, he's, okay, what can I do? What can I do? This crowd's getting crazy. Man, I send him to Herod. Herod sent him back. That wasn't a good deal. And they're yelling, crucify him. They want him dead. That's what they want. That's why we're here. Because the Jewish law forbid anybody being put to death. So he says, what can I do? I know. I can beat him, and maybe he'll die. Maybe he'll die. Two birds, one stone. With one action... Guys, he can calm the crowd, and if Jesus happens to die, I'm not, I have no relation to this guy. All right, then. Then everybody can go home, and we can get through the Passover, and it'll be good. Two birds, one stone. Now, we're going to come back to Pilate and his thinking at the end of the service, but let's, let's keep moving forward, okay? Let's take a moment to look at the process. Here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 19, okay? And then we're going to come back and finish in verse 39 and 40 of chapter 18. So we're going to start off a little bit forward and then come back, okay? Now, remember, this is just the first part of that last trial. So why is Pilate so adamant to let Jesus go but ended up crucifying him? Well, jump over to verse 12 real quick, guys. Even after this, it says in John 19, 12, it says, From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Can you imagine? This is what they're yelling. This is what they're saying. Listen, if you let Jesus go, you're not. And he's here. No, no. Oh, no. Seriously? Not another weekend like this. Are you kidding me? Ah. So let's go back and see the process. Okay. If you're taking note, point number one, we're going to see two birds, one stone. Picking it up in John chapter 19, verse one, it says, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. That's all John tells us. That's it. 
He just says he took him in script. Now again, remember, he's John is more focused on showing him the, as the deity, as 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 the you know the snapshots of him being God, not so much again this part. So John is giving us a snapshot, but Matthew and Luke is going to give us more detail. So this is all it says. Okay, so turn in your Bibles, guys. Hold it here and go back to Matthew twenty-seven. Matthew twenty-seven. We'll just give a little bit more insight, just a tiny bit more. But Matthew twenty-seven. Okay, and then we're going to go over to Luke twenty-three. So Matthew twenty-seven. Pilate now prepares for this scourging or this chastening. Matthew twenty-seven and twenty-seven says this. Matthew 27, verse 27 says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. That's all Matthew tells us, okay? As a matter of fact, John actually gave us a little bit more detail because he said they took him and scourged him. Now, when you go to Israel today, we'll be walking in through where the real praetorium where Jesus was scourged. And it's just one of the most powerful and holy moments because you'll know that his blood was all over there. Now, obviously, they've built some walls and a church above it, but but there it's in the praetorium. You will see that, okay? So here's what they do. Now, somewhere, guys, between in this area, the soldiers take him into the praetorium and they scourged him, okay? We know that. But let's just move on just a little bit so you get an idea. After they scourged him, and we'll look at scourging in a moment, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and a reed on his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him. They took a reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took a robe off of him, put on his clothes, and led him away to be crucified. That's what Matthew says. Okay, so we know he's scourged. Now, hold your place there again to you guys and go over to Luke 23. Just a couple of books to the right, Luke 23. Luke 23 is going to give us a little bit more detail. We'll, we'll put the pieces together. Luke 23 and 13 says this. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to, back to him, and he indeed, nothing, and indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore, notice, chastise him and release him. Okay? So Luke says, okay, He's actually declaring him, and here's the thing. He said, first of all, he says, not guilty. Everybody say, not guilty. And then now, he says, okay, well, listen, listen, let me appease this. Let me just go ahead and discourage them. Let me chastise them, and then I'm going to release him. He didn't say anything about, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to send him to the cross. We're going to crucify him. He says, I'm, this is, this is it. Okay. Rome has the authority. Now let's talk scourging for just a moment. Now, before we do, Here's what I want you to take home, okay? If you take nothing else, guys, you got to remember that he did this for me and he did this for you. See, I think that's where it gets lost in translation. A lot of people go, why did Jesus do that? Well, that was crazy. No, he did it for us. He loved us so much. He did it because of his love. He loved us so much. He was willing, guys, to get scourged. 
Now, let me back up just a little bit. I want to give you a nugget of truth, okay? Because Isaiah speaks of this about 700 years before this happened. Isaiah actually actually prophesies, okay? Isaiah, you can look it up later if you're fast, turn there. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. We're going to look at 4 and 5, but there's so much crazy good stuff in this. I just want to show you, okay? Isaiah 53, verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs, he's speaking of Jesus, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. Now here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. When somebody asks you, hey, can you come pray for me at the hospital? You can actually pray for healing based upon this verse. Now, here's, let me tell you what happens. They, they actually reverse the two because the next verse says he was, he was what? He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity, and by his stripes upon him we are healed. So they take the word healed and they just think, okay, I'm going to use this one. No, no, no. Let me give it to you properly and in context. When you pray for physical healing, you want to use this verse. You want to use verse 4 because this is what it talks about. Surely he has borne. The word borne there, guys, is he has put it on his back. He's actually carried it. That's what it means. He's carried what? The word born, right, is carried our griefs. If you're looking at Isaiah 53, 4, grief means sickness. There's a, there's a whole lot of words translated with it, but you know that he's carrying our sickness. So when we go and we went to pray for Beverly, we prayed Isaiah right here. He has carried those sicknesses. Well, we can't pray for healing. Yes, we can. God can still heal because that's what he's, he's, he just took a beating right here, but he's carrying our sicknesses. Everybody got that? And he says he carried, okay, our sorrows. So that's the verse that we can really stand on when he says, oh, well, does God really heal people today? He does, okay? Now, he's sovereign, and he knows. And we pray for people. My wife, we prayed for her to, to, to cancer to go away, and I know Jesus took that cancer. And, and let me just say this, man. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, cancer's got to bow the knee to Jesus. Can I get an amen? I mean, we got to believe that, guys. Cancer has, the sickness has to bow the knee. Now you go, well, Ben, listen, I think that was all great, hallelujah, but I've had a loved one who died from cancer. I said, well, here's the thing. They win anyway. They know Jesus, guys, they win. And that is the ultimate healing. That is the ultimate healing. God says, in his sovereignty, he says, man, I'm going to heal her. Or in his sovereignty, he says, come on home. Come on home. I don't understand God's ways. Uh, a friend of mine, I would say a friend, an acquaintance, a pastor, um, we had prayed for him a few Wednesdays ago. He was diagnosed with colon cancer, written on with hospice. He died this past week. Pastor friend. Preached the Bible like like amazingly. I, I'm going, God, why why did you take why, why would you take him? What what why would he die? I mean he's he's preaching the gospel. He's he's reaching people for you. And and the Lord's like, I don't owe you an explanation. Amen. No, uh, amen. I trust you. But he won anyway, right? He finished his race. He finished his race. And so, again, that's the verse. You guys ready? Surely he has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. You guys need to look that up. And afflicted. Wow. It's almost like God said, listen, I'm going to put all of that on you, son. All the hurts. And and you know what? It's not only physical, but it's emotional, too. All of our stuff. I've got issues. Amen. Take him to Jesus. Isaiah 53, 4. Amen. You got issues today? This is the, this is the verse you go to. Now, 
he goes on and he says this, but he, verse five, but he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. What's he talking about? He's talking about the scourging. He's talking about the beating right here, right? Okay. So this now is not physical healing. Although people get it mixed up. I understand that this is spiritual healing. This is spiritual healing. You say, how so? Okay. Check this out. Let me give you a nugget of truth concerning sin, okay? The Bible uses three definitions for sin. We know sin, okay, jot this down. It's missing the mark, missing the mark. We've all missed the mark. Here's the arrow, boom, that's us. Harmatia, harmatia, missing the mark, that's sin. Everybody got that? Then the next one is called a transgression, a transgression. Another word you heard is a trespass, okay? You go, what is that? It's an outward action, Okay, it's an outward action, seeing the line and crossing it. So you're over here and you're going, please don't trespass. You go, oh, I just trespassed, right? No trespassing in my heart, no transgression. Everybody got that? That's You know where the line is and you go, ah, okay. <laughs> you kind of step over. I've transgressed. And then the third one is called iniquity. Everybody say iniquity. This is the inward part, okay? This is the inward part. This is where we have conspired to sin in our heart. This is where you and I look to the right, and we look to the left, and we look around, and we go, listen, I know it's wrong. I'm going to do it anyway. That's iniquity. I'm going to do it. I want to do it. It's, it. It makes me feel good. I know it's wrong. <sighs> Boom, I've done, I've done it. I did it. I did it. That's iniquity, Okay. We've all, we've all done that. We've all missed the mark. We've all transgressed and we all have iniquity. Okay. Now, here's what it says. He was wounded for our transgressions. Okay. The wounded is the outward crown of thorns, outwardly, the beating and the scourging and then eventually the final stabbing. That's all outward. You guys, you guys tracking with me? That's all outward. Okay, the the flesh hanging on his body with ri- like ribbons and the crown and the blood and and the stabbing that's outward. So he was he was what he was wounded. Wounded is always what outward, outward. But it also goes on to say, guys, that he was bruised. Everybody say bruised for our iniquities. What's a bruise? A bruise is always inward. Okay, it's inward. And I want you to think about this. Think about this bruised heart that finally broke. You see, Jesus took away our sins, but he also paid the penalty for our transgressions and our iniquities. And even when I am stubborn to know where the line is and step across, God says, I took that and it makes me kind of it makes me kind of weird doesn't it you you know why because i don't want to bruise my jesus i don't want to break his heart now there are times when i miss the mark i do something i didn't i'm sorry i didn't know that was a sin i didn't know that lord i didn't know that you didn't approve of that but to deliberately step over in iniquity it's like it's like bruising my jesus to to where his heart busted open it's like lord lord wow Wow. So Isaiah talks about this, guys. He's talking about this very moment. Well, Pilate had Jesus flogged, in other words, scourged, whipped, but we need to break it down, okay? He had Jesus, guys, savagely flogged. You've guys seen Passion of the Christ. I mean, it was amazing. And, and then he paraded him before a crowd 
to gain what? An attempt to gain a pity. He's like, listen, let me just stand before you. He's bloody. There's nothing going on. And it's like, okay, dude, that's enough. Okay, we agree. I don't think he'll ever claim to be God after this. And that's what Pilate is doing. It was clear to him that he reasoned that, right, that it should be clear of the crowd. And this is, this is, I mean, this is just crazy, this scourging and this brutal punishment. But it was a standard practice before crucifixion, the whip. They often called it a cat of nine tails. And you've heard me explain this before, and it makes us cry. Why? Because they took a whip, guys, that had nine, and had pieces of bone and glass and sharp rock. Okay, and they got it, and 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 when it came to when it came to scourging, and this is what they're doing. Okay, let me see if we can do this. Well, it was designed. Well, it was designed, guys, to make a bloody pulp of a man's body. You see, he was supposed to be stripped of his clothing, tied to a post or pillar, and what they would do is they would swing that thing around and and it wouldn't just make stripes it would rip everything off from top and back it would just they would just pull guys it wasn't like a it was more like and it would just exposing the muscle and the nerves i mean it was excruciating all the way through guys according to rome there really there really wasn't no maximum Strokes. I mean, they could they could literally do it till he died. And men f- frequently collapsed and died. I mean, you you knew that. I mean, I think you hit me one time with that. I'm like, I'm gone, I'm out, right? I mean, come on, seriously, right? We're not even flogged. Sometimes we just hit our shin bone right here when we're walking. We're like, oh, and you're walking like this the rest of the day. Oh, what happened? I just I hit myself right here. Ooh. This is. This is my Jesus for me. It's interesting because the historian Josephus says, guys, with some pride that he had whipped rebels in Galilee until their entrails showed. And the following passage is interesting because it shows what Pilate may have intended when he scared Jesus. Josephus in his writings, the Josephus Wars book, he actually goes out and he says, I remember scourging people until they, and they weren't dead, they just were exposed all the inside. You, you see, guys, we come to church and we go, "Amen, Hallelujah, Jesus," and but we don't. I don't know if we really understand the the severity of what Jesus did for you for us. And so when we try to explain it to somebody and they go, "Ah, Jesus is your crutch," no, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. You see, his scourging is what makes my heart beat. And his crucifixion is the air. This is the air I breathe. It's his air. It's his air. Dude, calm down. You don't have to get so radical. You don't have to be a Jesus freak. No, you don't understand. That's all I have to be. That's all I want to be. I just, that's all. That's all I'm living for. You, you tell me what compares to, to, to being a Jesus freak. Tell me what compares. Nothing. The, world's, the world has it all going on. It's like, no, that's nothing. That's nothing to the peace that God puts in our hearts. That's nothing to the comfort that God gives us. It's nothing to where we can lay our head down going, listen, my family is secure because they know Jesus. I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, we got to understand this so that we have, a, we have a greater love and a greater respect and a greater zeal for my Jesus. 
And we're not ashamed. Paul tells us that I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And yet you and I go, "Eh, hey, I don't want to offend you. Sorry. Instead of just going, no, we're going to pray. Let's pray right now, man. Because prayer, think about this. I'm, I'm on a soapbox, okay? Forgive me. But prayer is the best form of believing. Don't you agree? Who are you praying to? You're praying to a chair? No. I believe God. I know there's a God up there. I know there's a God up there. He hears me. And so, so that's what they do, guys. David McClister writes concerning the scourging. Scourging is called a, uh, a verba ratio by the Romans. It was possibly the worst kind of flogging administered to ancient courts. He says, while the Jews, now listen, administered whippings in the synagogue for certain offenses. Okay, okay, we're just going to, we're going to just, we're going to spank you. It was mild in comparison to the scourging. Scourging was not normally a form of execution, but it's certainly brutal enough to be fatal in many cases. A person would certainly be beaten to death by the scourge if that was desired. He goes on to write, its purpose was not only to cause great pain, listen, but to humiliate as well. The scourge man was, was to be, to beat him worse than the one would beat a, and he says a stupid animal. It was belittling, debasing, demeaning. It was considered such a degrading form of punishment that according to Porcian and Semporian laws, Roman citizens were exempt from it. It was, therefore, punishment appropriate only for slaves and non-Romans who were viewed as the lesser elements of Roman society. To make it as humiliating as possible, scourging was often carried out in public. Listen, Rome was no joke. Rome was no joke. Okay? We have a bumper sticker here that says, don't mess with Texas. We do, right? You didn't mess with Rome. I mean, they coined probably don't mess with Rome. Because, I mean, you talk about how they perfected the cross and the scourging. I mean, it was like, you know, humiliating. Listen, you want to mess with Rome? You see that blood right there? That could be yours. No, I ain't messing with Rome. Then you do what we say. You do what we say. This is crazy. This is crazy, guys. Now, back in our text, guys. Go back to John. Now, hold your place there in Mark and Luke, because we're going to come back just a little bit. But John, uh, too, says, And the soldiers, after they scourged him, you guys, so there's my Jesus, okay? He's beaten, shreds, ripped, pain, man, swelling. It says, not only that, it says, John says, And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they arrayed him in purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. So right after the scourging, okay, huge loss of blood, could barely walk, weak as all get out, they, they want to mock him, okay? They mock him with a crown of thorns. I'm going to grab some application real quick right here, okay? For the believer in Jesus, okay? Jesus was is an, and is indeed a king. And not, not the way they see, but he is our king. And one day, guys, I, I know this, the entire universe is going to bow to Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords. Every One day, every knee is going to bow. And you know what? I decided when I was 17 years old that I was going to bow my knee right there and say, you are king of kings and lord of lords. 
And I, you remember the day you did that, when you bowed and said, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in you. I don't understand it all. You guys, you guys don't understand. I mean, it was just, it's the most incredible thing. But, but, but right here on Wednesday night, two young kids, 13 and 14, surrendered their lives to Jesus. Right here, they're looking at me and tears are coming down their eyes and I'm going, they bowed the knee to Jesus. But one day those people go, I don't know about your Jesus. I don't need anything. All I need is me. All I need is my truck. All I need is my whatever they're into. Listen, listen. They're going to bow the knee because he's king. He's king. He's king. He's king. And the second thing we can apply, guys, take this home. Jesus is willing to endure this pain, the insults, the mocking, the shame on our account. I put him there. You put him there. Well, Pilate's two birds, guys. One stone didn't work. So what does he do? He moves on to, he's going to try something else. Look at verse 4 of, of John chapter 19. So Pilate then went out and said to him, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him, right? So he's going out. He's standing there. I want you to picture this, okay? He's standing there, crown of thorns, blood, red, okay? Shreds, weak. And my Jesus is standing. Why? I mean, he said, I could call, I can call angels to come down and just wipe everybody out. Are you kidding me? They'll fight for me, but he's standing there like this. And so I wrote down in my notes, guys, I said, why did Jesus have to die if Pilate had already pronounced him guilty twice? And I wrote this down. Check this out. Listen, because I'm guilty. It was my sin that put him on the cross. It was my iniquity that put him on the cross. He wasn't guilty. I'm guilty. Guys, I think if we could walk with this attitude, if we could walk with this attitude, we would walk in a, in a, in a manner of humility when we realized I'm the one who did this. We don't have to walk and go, you don't understand. You don't know who I am. I don't care who you are. I put you on the cross. My sin. You want to talk about worship. You want to talk about praise. Understand that he took your sin, your guilt, your shame, and he, and he bore it. And you go, praise the Lord. No, no, no. Praise the Lord isn't just praise the Lord anymore. It's like, praise God. Praise God. My friend Scott and his, and his Facebook post always writes daddy. He knows who daddy is. His daddy. And he's more than just Jesus, it's dad. Because a daddy, a daddy should and would take those things from you. So what does he do now? Well, the second thing he tried to do is like, this didn't work. I'm going to release Jesus through the, how about I release Jesus to the custom, right? To the custom. So, so they had, they, they had a custom to release one prisoner on Passover. So we need to go back. Go back to 18. Look at verse 39 and 40. So he comes out and Jesus is standing and he says, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then all cried saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now it tells us, now Barabbas was a robber, was a robber. 
This is what he says, okay? So he has a custom. Now, I want to give you the full story, a little bit more full story. So you got to say goodbye right here real quick. Go back to Matthew 27, okay? Flipping around a little bit. I'm sorry, we normally don't do this, but I want to give you the full story. We're going to look at Matthew 27, verse 15, okay? So we're going back a little bit. Now, the feast of the governor, okay, was accustomed to release to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. It says in verse 16, at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, a notorious prisoner. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Okay, so here's what we see. Matthew says, Matthew says that Pilate called him the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, but, but in John he says is the king of the Jews. So lots of titles going on. Okay, who do you want me to release? For he knew that they had, he had handed over to him because of envy. Verse 19 says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife said to him, have nothing to do with this man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answers and he said to them, which of you two do you want me to release to you? And they said, everybody help me, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, well, what then should I do with Jesus who is called the Christ, the Christos? And they all said to him, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried all the more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water, he washed his hand before the multitude and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and our children. And they released Barabbas to them. And when they had scourged Jesus, guys, they delivered him to be crucified. Now, think about this. These people just yelled out, his blood be on us and our children, but not the right way, is it? Not the right way. I mean, I want Jesus' blood on me and my children. I just, I, not how they, they were thinking his physical, let's just, let's just crucify him. Let's just crucify him. So we're going to close, guys. We're going to close with some application. You ready? Barabbas. It's funny. Because if you do a name study, the word bar always means son. Abba always means father. His name is bar Abbas, which means son of the father. So they released the son of the father. Now check this out. The son of the father was let go because the father's son was to be killed. Isn't that crazy? Out of all the names in the world, it's Bar Abbas was let go because God's son had to be killed. I was like, wow. You go, what else? You ready? Jot this down somewhere in your notes. I am Barabbas. You go, what do you mean? Barabbas Barabbas represents you and me, guys, in a spiritual sense. You know what? He was a thief. Been there. He was a murderer. Been there. He was a rebel. That's me. If we can be honest in church, that's us. I'm all those things. And what Jesus did is Jesus said, I'm going to take your place Ben, so you can be set free. Now, here's what here's what we don't know, guys. Here's what we don't know, or we we don't we don't we never read about it. But Barabbas did not know the gift that Jesus just gave him. 
And a lot of people today don't know the gift that Jesus just gave them. A lot of people are like, hey, you need to give your life to the Lord. And they're like, yeah, no, dude, I'm, I'm cool. He, he, he took your place. It's the great exchange. Nah. Hmm. I don't know if I believe in all this God stuff, man. I just, I don't know. Really? I am Barabbas and he, and he, he let me go free. Last thought, guys, last thought before we, before we finish. I was thinking about Pilate this morning. Pilate was probably riddled with guilt, wouldn't you agree? He had a lot on his plate and he was riddled with guilt. Instead of, now, now again, let's, let's, can, can we become Pilate for just a moment? Can, can we be Pilate for just a moment, okay? I think spiritually speaking, there are a lot of us that come to, in our walks and, and we're riddled with guilt. Guilt of the things we did in the past, guilt that we didn't do, things that we didn't say. Guilt, we've got it, okay? And sometimes we stand like Pilate instead of coming to Jesus and giving it all to him. Because Pilate should have said, Jesus, you are the Christ. I find no fault in you, man. Forgive me. I'll stand with you, Jesus. I'll stand with you. You know what he did? He tried to appease his guilt with just a little bit of something. You see, yeah, Jesus scourged, but for us, this is what we do in our walks, okay? We don't have Jesus scourged, but here's what we'll do. I'm going to appease my guilt just a little bit, and I'll start coming to church. I'm going to appease my guilt just a little bit, and I'll give some money to the church because I don't want God to go broke. I'm going to appease my guilt because I'll just be nice. I'll be a good humanitarian. And here's what we'll do. Instead of coming with our guilt and laying it down at the feet of Jesus, we'll do something to make us feel a little bit better. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm Pilate. What a great application. That's us. That's us. And that's what the enemy will do. Hey, listen, just do something. Just do something. You haven't been at church for a while. Just go to church for a couple weeks. You'll be fine. We come to church. Things get a little bit better. And then we're going, okay, amen. But it doesn't take away the guilt or the shame. And so what we need to do, guys, is what Pilate should have done. Say, God, I'm guilty, and I can't get rid of this. And so I lay it at your feet, and I lay it at the cross, and I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to come into my heart, and I ask you, help me to surrender completely. Listen, I don't want to surrender with one arm up. I want both hands up in the air. I surrender. And when we sing that song, I surrender all, that's what we mean. We surrender all, not just, I surrender some. But I surrender all. My Jesus, why did you do this, Jesus? Why did you do this? Because I love you, Ben. You don't understand that love. You don't, the enemy has distorted that love. I love you. What man? What man would be scourged? 39 lashes to the point of death, and he'd look at us and go, I love you. Well, it's too hard to be a Christian. And Jesus made it so easy. Just come to him. He's not asking you to change. He's asking you to come. He'll do the changing from the inside out. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word, and we love you, God, and we praise you, and we offer all our heart to you today. Lord, this is a, this is a tough thing to preach because I'm sitting here going, Lord, 
you did that for me and I'm so ungrateful at times and I'm so, and sometimes I act ashamed and sometimes I deny you like Peter, Lord. I'm so sorry. Help me to fall in love with you even more today. And my prayer, God, is if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, and when I say a real and intimate way, I'm talking about a real, a real way. God, I pray that yeah, your spirit is already speaking to them, Lord, because there's nothing greater than going to heaven and there's nothing greater than walking with you each day. So, God, we love you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.